as if this wasn't a strange enough season, a difficult enough season, preaching into a camera, not able to look you in the eye and have this conversation. Um, you spread out in your living rooms around the county. Um, and uh, add to that, trying to navigate through this strange pandemic world and all the pitfalls around us and the unique trials and challenges. Uh, I thought it would be fun this morning um, to just add a little something extra, and uh, let's get into one of the more um, contentious issues in the church. Let's talk about money this morning, right? Why not? Let's get at it. Um, of course, you know, that's, that's not how I decide what to preach, how I choose what to preach. Um, rather, we decided uh, months ago in prayer and conversation with the elders uh, to preach through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, as we do. And uh, it has been amazing to me to see how the Lord uses that. And, and I've heard from uh, numerous people over the last weeks how um, this passage or that passage was exactly what you needed for the week, needed for the morning. And, and that's the Lord. Uh, by his spirit, through his word, at work in our lives, and, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful. And so I have no doubt, as we turn to this next section in the book of Philippians, that even if we don't see it, um, that God has his grace in this for us, that this is good for us. We need it this morning, and I have no doubt in that. Um, he has his blessing here for us this morning. And so uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need it. Go grab one, get it from your bedside table, wherever it's stashed. Maybe it's, I hope not, maybe it's dusty on a bookshelf. It's time to dig that out. Um, worst case scenario, you, you can open uh, a new tab and bring down esv.org, and that's your new best friend. Uh, but we are going to be in God's word this morning because I have nothing to say. I have no wisdom uh, for you. Um, what we need is to come together in submission under God's word and to learn uh, from him. So we're going to look at Ephesians, or sorry, Philippians 4, uh, verses uh, 14 through to 19. And uh, this is going to be our second to last sermon in Philippians. I feel like you know, we're coming to like the last day of summer camp or a, a vacation. We're going to be leaving Philippians behind soon. Um, we'll be back into uh, Exodus uh, two weeks from now. Next week, we just have this short greeting from, from Paul, this kind of wrap-up farewell. Um, but these verses that we look at this morning, 14 and 19, just they flow so beautifully, so naturally uh, out of the verses that preceded and, and actually out of um, this whole book. Right back from chapter 1, Paul prays for them that their love would abound more and more, and he calls them to live lives worthy of the gospel. Chapter 2, he explains about um, the, the mind of Christ, that they're to, to live and think like Christ, who, who was not considering his own needs, but the needs of others, taking on the form of a servant in imitation of Christ. Chapter 3, then, uh, counting all things as loss for the sake of gaining Christ. Nothing else matters but gaining Christ, pressing on toward uh, that eternal goal in Christ Jesus. And then specifically chapter 4 that we've looked at over the last uh, couple of weeks. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but look at Christ. He's our sufficiency. He is what we need. Uh, and, and then be content. In every situation, because Christ is our satisfaction, he's our joy, our contentment is found in him. And so then, rooted in all of that, uh, verses 14 and 19, be generous. Live out of this, this gospel-focused generosity. Let me read this for us. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us uh, in giving us your truth that we might open it uh, and hear from you. 
and, uh, and see um, what you have for us. God, open our eyes this morning. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that you would be transforming us, changing us, convicting us. Um, Lord, that, um, that you would have your way in our lives, that you would be building your church this morning uh, in us. God, we, uh, we thank you, we praise you, we expect now great things in our lives. Um, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is continuing, he's, he's been thanking them for their gift as he's kind of bringing this letter to a close. And as I mentioned last week, um, he's absolutely still teaching through that. As he says, thank you, he's still teaching them. And, uh, and, and so he was telling them how he's, he's grateful for his gift, um, but, but verses 10 to 13, that his contentment was not there. My contentment is in, is in Christ. I know, how to, I know how to live content in Christ in plenty and in need. I don't care. It's not about the things that I have. It's about Christ. And, and so that kind of leaves them hanging. Um, what about our gift then? What about our generosity? Was that a value? Was that a good thing? Um, and, and so Paul is kind of, jumping on that as an opportunity then uh, to teach them about gospel-focused generosity. And so that's why it begins with yet. Even though I wasn't after the gift, I don't care about the money, I don't need that, I'm content in Christ, and yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. This is... uh, The first thing he shows us here, verses 14 to 16, this is the heart of generosity. This first phrase is so powerful. It's kind of you to share in my trouble. We are promised trouble in this world. Trials, tribulations, suffering. And, and, And the heart of generosity is to share in the troubles of others. Let's, let's look here, verses 15 and 16, just practically, how did that play out in this scenario? Um, well, it was the Philippians. From the very beginning of the gospel, he says, from, from when the gospel first came to you in Philippi, it was probably about 10 years before this letter had been written, they entered into partnership with Paul, giving and receiving. This is kind of a, uh, these are business terms. They financed him. And so he gives these two examples, and they're, they're flipped in order for chronologically. Um, and his first example is when he left Macedonia. Now, it's been a while, so let's throw a map up here um, and have a look at it. Um, I think you can see the map. on. You know, they can see the map on their screen. Sweet. Um, and, and so this is what you're looking at is, is Paul's second missionary journey. You can see he started in Jerusalem down in the bottom right, and he works his way up and, and over through Asia Minor. Uh, and then he crosses over the sea to Philippi. That's the area of Macedonia in that top left corner. Um, and, and that's where he started the church there. And of course, that's Acts 16. Um, he's, uh, he met Lydia and, and these other Jewish ladies down by the river, um, the possessed slave girl whom they, they freed, and then uh, the jailer and his family, Paul and Silas, uh, thrown into prison and they're singing and the Lord bursts the doors open and the jailer and the whole family come to Christ. So that's the church. That's it right there, the beginning of the gospel in Macedonia, in Philippi. Um, and from there they headed south down and you'll see they went through Thessalonica and Berea. Take note of that. Um, remember I said we're out of chronological order, so we're going to come back to that. Um, and after Thessalonica, they went down to Athens and Corinth. That's down in Greek, an area called uh, Achaia. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here. They left Macedonia. They went down into Achaia to Corinth. And, and here's what Paul says, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, eleven nine. He says, when I was with you in, in, in Corinth and I was in need, I didn't burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. Who's that? It's, it's the Philippians. The brothers came from Macedonia, supplied my need so I refrained and will refrain from burdening any of you. He, he lived off the donations from the church in Philippi, um, and, and they had this partnership in his gospel ministry. He was so, so jealous, so eager not to, to give any sense that he was preaching for money, that they were paying him for the gospel, um, that he had his partners from Philippi providing his needs as he preached uh, in Corinth. 
And then uh, he goes on to mention um, that even while I was in Thessalonica before that, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So twice when he was in Thessalonica, he was only there for maybe three weeks. And, and twice the church in Philippi, this small gathering of, of brand new believers got together and said, hey, can we pool some resources and I'll, I'll pitch a hundred bucks. Hey, I'll put in, I'll put in a thousand. And, and, they, and they took it down to Paul and said, here, um, have this. Let us help provide for you as you're preaching the gospel. They were eager to support him, to share in his trouble. That's what it's all about. That's the, the heart behind uh, their generosity. And, and the word there, uh, share, it's our old friend Koinonia. We've seen this a few times. Uh, it's the same word Paul uses for sharing in, in close, personal, joyful fellowship. Here it's a sharing in their trial, their trouble. It's this voluntarily becoming a partner in someone else's mess. It's beautiful. They saw that Paul had need, and and they share with him. And notice, sharing in someone's trouble, um, just the language itself tips us off. This is necessarily sacrificial. This isn't easy. This is hard stuff. This is messy and and difficult. It's a sacrifice. It will cost you. And the Philippians, they didn't have extra money, right? He doesn't say, oh, they happened to have a bunch of extra cash floating around they didn't know what to do with, or they were, they were bored with their time, and so they served him. No, they, they took trouble on themselves, and, and we get a glimpse behind the curtain. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, 1-3 gives us this little insight. He says to the Corinthians, what well, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, that's, that's Philippi, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty. You hear that? The, the church in Philippi was severely afflicted. They were in poverty. And they've overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means of their own accord. They gave out of their poverty. It was hard for them to give. It was difficult sacrifice. And so they shared in Paul's trouble. Paul's trouble level went down and theirs went up. It wasn't easy. And you see how this builds on Philippians 2. As Paul is is telling them not to look to their own needs, but also to the needs of others. This is the mind of Christ. Generosity, this, this display of sacrificial love in this sense is, is one of the fundamental marks of someone who's been transformed by grace. Because that's exactly how Christ treated us. We were overwhelmed with a, a burden, a trouble, a mess of sin that we couldn't get out of. We were trapped and And he took that burden upon himself and took it to the cross and paid our debt completely. And so then he calls us as those who have had him share in our troubles now to share in the troubles of others. Back to that verse 14. He says, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. Uh, Other translations have, it was good of you or you did well to share in my troubles. The idea is this is a beautiful thing. This is a good thing. This is how Christianity ought to work. That we are facing troubles and trials in this world and we have fellowship together in them. And as one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. We, we willingly take that on and walk through that trial with them. That's the, the heart of generosity. Now, this may not be where application would go typically, but in our unique circumstance today, um, it's going to require us to think this way in some unique ways. As we hopefully begin to gather again in the near future, we need to recognize that, that different people are dealing with this whole thing in, in different ways. And, and I know um, some of you are just tired of this. You're done. You're ready to get back together tomorrow. And you're not worried about the virus. You think this whole thing has been overblown and ridiculous. That's fine. I'm not going to argue with you on that. That's not the point. The point is we need to realize that, that rightly or wrongly, there are going to be other people who don't feel the same way. 
There are other people who are deeply concerned, brothers and sisters, maybe some with significant health issues where where COVID would be a really big deal for them, or for whatever reason, or maybe no reason at all, they're deeply concerned about this. And so you're going to see people dealing with this different ways. Some are happy without a mask. Some are ready to give hugs and, and and good to go tomorrow. Others are going to be wearing masks and gloves uh, until the fall, maybe until Christmas. Um, the point is, the question is, not are they right or wrong. The question is, are we going to be willing to share in their trouble? Are we going to be willing to not only respect their decision, but to empathize with them, to bear that burden with them, to give them the space they desire, to serve them out of love? Another implication of this, some of you have had your income cut way back or or maybe lost altogether. Maybe your business, your job is doing fine. Again, it doesn't really matter why. The question is, are we ready, even eager, to share in the troubles of others? To take that, that burden of the few and spread it out among the many. Say, we'll walk through this with you. We will give from what we have in order to supply you in your need. That's the heart of generosity right there. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 35. It tells us this about the early church. There was not a needy person among them. Wow. Not a needy person in this church. For as many who were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. And so it's not as some have tried to skew it that they kind of sold everything and, and lived in a commune together. No, it's in response to need. Somebody had a need and another person says, I can fill that. I can, I can give toward that. And so they would sell their, their house or, or, or land. That's a sacrifice. It's not an easy thing. And they bring it to the apostles. Not that the apostles can be wealthy, but that they might distribute it to those who had need. They provided for one another. We ought to have this heart of, of generosity, not, not just willing to give. Giving is, is, is surface. It's sharing in the trouble. It's having that fellowship in trial with others, this sacrificial service together. Verses 17 and 18 then move through uh, to the motivation of generosity. What, what should move us to do this, to live in this strange way? Verse 17 says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so I think there are kind of two levels of uh, motivation here. First, there's this motivation of future fruit. Paul says, I don't seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And then secondly, the fact that this offering, this generous act is a offering to the Lord, a sacrifice to Him. It's, it's worship. So first, the, the motivation of future fruit. What does that look like? And if you remember back in, in verse 10, uh, Paul was rejoicing, not in their gift, but that they had revived their concern for Him, that their hearts were moved for Him. And so Paul is rejoicing in the Lord, because of the work that Christ was doing in, in their hearts, and it, and it just happened to, to show itself, to overflow in generosity. Uh, and then here he's continuing on that. He's saying, not that I seek the gift. I don't care about the gift. It's not about the money. That's not the point. What I care about is the fruit that increases to your credit. He's not ashamed to say, that, that generous giving was earning them a credit, a reward. I want you to give, not for my benefit, but for yours. Luke 12, 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. Jesus says, 
give, be generous, overflow with generosity, giving away the the things of this world and earn for yourselves what? Treasure, money bags, but not not earthly treasure, not this temporary stuff that, that moth and rust destroy, but treasure in heaven, an eternal reward. Paul picks up on that. And, and he teaches this, this the same way. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. We have farmers right now who are out putting seed in the field. Maybe you're live streaming on your tractor. Um, but, but they know if I put in a few seeds, if I spread it thin, it's going to come up thin. If I spread plenty of seed, it's going to come up plenty. Our sowing, our, our planting um, reflects our harvest. And, and so Paul takes this concept of sowing and reaping and then says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying, don't be shy about reward. Seek that. You need to know if you are limited in your generosity, you'll be limited in your reward. You'll be limited in the the promise of reward in heaven. And so Jesus promises that Paul clearly builds on it. Those who give generously of their wealth in this life will be amply rewarded in the next life. And Jesus says, go after it. Store up treasure in heaven. Seek after that reward. We are so short-sighted. We save up money and squirrel it away for a new car or maybe the next vacation or we spend years putting away for our retirement. Let me ask you, how long is your retirement going to be? Like, what do you get, 20 years? Maybe? And we fail to put away, to store up treasure for eternity. There are two different graves in the city of Cairo, Egypt. The first one you know well. It is at the Egyptian National Museum. It it garners millions of visitors every year. It's a large room overflowing with golden chariots, 5,000 different artifacts, many of them of pure gold, all surrounding a coffin, a single coffin weighing almost 250 pounds of pure gold. And the grave, of course, is of the young King Tut. It was once housed in the Valley of the Kings amongst the great pyramids. Um, It is grandiose in splendor and extravagance, unimaginable value. That's the the pinnacle of, of worldly wealth and power and everything this world has to offer. The other grave is just a 10 minute drive down the road Um, to an American cemetery in Cairo, somewhat neglected and and, and off the beaten trail. And in the corner of that cemetery is a concrete slab that's actually facing the wrong way so that visitors who come to see it have to back up against the fence to read the inscription. And that concrete slab belongs to a man named William Borden, a graduate of Yale in the early 1900s, but he was heir to the Borden family fortune, which was massive. Died at the age of 25 from spinal meningitis, and this is all that remains. This is it. And so if he's so wealthy and, and, and powerful, why this pathetic grave? Why so small? Why so grungy? Well, young Mr. Borden set his heart to reach the Muslims for Christ. And he took that massive family fortune and refused to even buy himself so much as a car. And dollar by dollar, he gave it away, invested in the mission of the gospel to see Christ preached among the Muslims. By the time he was 25, it was gone. And he died and is buried. And and King Tut has this amazing grave that that makes us jealous of this lavish, amazing lifestyle that he must have lived. And, and, And Mr. Borden's tomb, so plain and simple, but at the bottom there's a simple phrase. It says this, 
apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. It doesn't make sense. Apart from Christ, his life is ludicrous. And the reality is, in the scope of eternity, King Tut will be forgotten. His name will not be spoken of in heaven. There will be no jealousy for him then. All that treasure, completely meaningless, his life will be seen as wasted. And William Borden will spend eternity rich beyond measure in, in rewards in heaven. Not, not gold and, and possessions, but rewarded by God. You see, God is no man's debtor. In the end, no one will be able to say, I gave to God and he owes me. He never returned all that I gave him. If, I, if we look at the, um, the, the, the payment sheet between me and God, it's balanced with me in the red and he owes me. No one will say it. It won't happen. No, like seeds scattered in the field, thrown away onto the ground in its proper time, multiply and come back in a harvest of plenty, hundreds of times more than what was sown. Paul says those who, who sow in God's kingdom, those who use what they have in this world for gospel purposes will reap generously into eternity. And it's okay, church. In fact, it's commanded that you seek after that reward. Jesus says, set your eyes on it. Store up that treasure. To say to God, I trust you. I believe your word. And so I'm going to lay down my earthly wealth, using it for your kingdom, expecting massive return in eternity. Stock markets are down right now. I got my my tax return back last month and thought, you know what, let's throw a little bit extra into the mutual funds. I feel pretty good about that, investing in a low market because I trust that, that 30 years from now when I'm old and too senile to preach, um, that, that the market will be up and, and, and we'll be able to, um, to pull out more than what we put in. And, and, and that shows faith in the stock market. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. My investment is a, a statement of trust. And we love investing when we have reasonable hope of better returns. And when, I'm, and when I have some, some reasonable expectation of, of growth in the stock market, and so, and so I'll put money there, but I have a guarantee from God that what I invest in his kingdom on earth will be withdrawn in heaven, multiplied into eternity. A guarantee from God himself. Invest in eternity. Store up treasure there. That makes sense. That's the first motivation for giving, that we, that we look to that return on investment, we look to eternal rewards, give looking at the, the future fruit, and that motivation is not at all separated from the second. They are, they are together. Verse 18, the end, he says, The gifts that you gave were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Yes, your giving is storing up treasure in heaven. It's motivated by that eternal reward. But then that, that, that reward-motivated giving is absolutely inseparably entangled with worship-motivated giving. You can't, you can't break the two apart. It's an act of worship when we say, I trust God is faithful and that he will keep his promise enough to part with my earthly resources. It's an act of worship when we say, I trust that God is good and that he is able to reward me beyond what, whatever this world has, anything that money can buy. I believe that his reward is better. Think about it. If we give to God thinking that we're serving God, thinking that we're giving to God in a way that puts God into our debt, in a way that helps him as if he needed us, what does that do? That puts us in a position of power over God. That makes us glorious as we help God. 
But if we're giving with an eye toward his promised reward, with, with a hope and, and a belief in him, that we will be given far more in return, that when the dust settles, we will be even more indebted to God than when we began because of the reward that he gave far beyond what we deserve, far beyond what we gave. Then God is glorified, not us. He, again, is the one in power. He is the one who gives lavishly, not us. So don't separate seeking the reward that God has promised in this act of worship. They, they go together. And then act. Act out of that, that worship-motivated giving. God, I trust you. I believe in your goodness. I'm excited for the promises that you have made and to see them fulfilled. And our giving then becomes this fragrant offering. This is Old Testament language of the, the burnt offering, the, the thanks offering, the peace offering that were, that were burnt on the altar and the smoke went up to God and it was said to be a pleasing aroma in his nostrils. He loves it. It gives him joy. Back to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. The, 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 the sowing sparingly means reaping sparingly, but the sowing lavishly means reaping lavishly, and God loves a cheerful giver. Why is the giver cheerful? Because he trusts in the reward, because he knows that what he gives will be returned bountifully, and God loves to see it. Worship is not only a a spiritual act. It's not only an act of the heart. It's not less than that, but it does involve our physical bodies, our physical resources. We were praying just this morning through Romans 12.1. It tells us to, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your giving of your body is your spiritual act of worship. This physical act of giving to the kingdom of God, to the church, to the brother in need, it's, it's intensely spiritual and it's worship. That's why we, we typically do an offering as part of our worship service when we're gathered, when we can do that, and we try to be really intentional about that. I see this in my own heart. I, I need this. That when giving is done in the context of the worship service, um, it reminds me, it, it pushes that down deep into my heart again that, that my giving is so much more than a physical thing. It's an act of worship. It's an act of trusting and obeying and worshiping God through generosity. And when we are generous, God is delighted. It pleases Him. It brings Him joy as we walk in obedience to him and so give for that eternal reward and give as this act of worship to the lord that's the the motivation behind this this heart of generosity that shares in the troubles of others and then finally paul adds in verse 19 the confidence of generosity the confidence of generosity here he says and my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. As you share in the troubles of others, and we have this fellowship together in suffering, Paul says you can have confidence. You can be assured that the Lord will provide for you everything that you need. That's exactly the logic that, that Jesus used in Matthew 6. We looked at it just last week. Verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Lay up treasures in heaven, which implies spend, give, use your physical resources for kingdom purposes. And then just down, Matthew 6, 25 and 26, right after that, he goes into saying this, Therefore, so because of that, because you're focused on the kingdom of God and not, not amassing wealth here, but, but pushing it out for kingdom purposes, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So, Give, give generously, give boldly, 
And then trust the Lord. Trust the Lord to supply your needs. And not begrudgingly and sparsely. But it says, according to his riches in glory. Now, that word according to matters. A billionaire could, could flip you a quarter and say that came out of his riches, but not according to his riches. According to means it reflects his riches. It some way matches the magnitude of his wealth and the magnitude of the gift. God will supply for you, not out of his riches, but according to his riches. And yes, this promise is ultimately fulfilled in eternity. That's where we find the fullness of it. Remember, we're talking about Jesus who lived homeless and poor, looking for where the next meal came from. We're talking about Paul, who suffered greatly, who says, I faced hunger and danger and nakedness and sword. Jesus promised the Lord would provide food and clothing, not not BMWs and mansions. It is an eternal promise. He'll reward us according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But it's not only an eternal promise. I want to be careful here. This is not the swindler's promise. Give me a hundred dollars and God will give you a thousand. We have this like financial transaction with God. God doesn't play that game. That's not how this works. But there's a principle here that God has built into his world. And it's a principle, not a promise. This is a proverb. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. The other withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but whoever hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The Lord is saying, if you're stingy, if you keep your money to yourself and you amass it for your own selfish purposes and you hoard and bring in, if you're stingy with your money, God will be stingy toward you. But if you open your hands, if you let what you have flow freely to others, not as a a guarantee, not as some kind of financial transaction, but as a general principle, the Lord will return with blessing. The Lord will provide your needs. To those who are generous, the Lord will show himself generous. To the, the, the hand that is open with generosity is the hand that the Lord loves to fill with blessing. And so, We give, we share in the troubles of others, looking for this eternal reward and confidently trusting the Lord's provision for our day-to-day needs. He provides for the birds and the lilies and he will certainly provide for you. And so we see the, the heart of generosity sharing in the troubles of others. We, we see uh, the motivation of generosity looking to that eternal reward and this act of worship as we trust our God and then the confidence of generosity knowing that the Lord will provide, that he will give us all that we need as we walk through this life to worship him and, and trusting him in that. Let me just take a minute now um, to just wrap this together. And, and, and as we look at what does this mean going forward, how do I live this out, um, I want to just kind of summarize these, these last few uh, passages that we've looked at and, and just kind of boil it down to six practical principles for gospel giving. So um, you have your pen ready if you're a note taker. We're not going to um, spend too long on these, but um, six practical principles for gospel giving. Number one, give from the heart. Give from the heart. Remember back in verse 10, we looked at last week, Paul says, I rejoice primarily that you've revived your concern for me. The Lord loves a, what? A cheerful giver. It's all about the heart. Back to verse 18, it's, it's offered as this sacrifice, this act of, of worship. It's not to be a begrudging duty of the wallet. It's to be a joyful act of worship from the heart. So, Give from the heart. Number two, give as you have opportunity. Again, verse 10, he says 
that, that they wanted to give, um, but, but they had no opportunity. There was no availability. Uh, we don't know what happened there. If they just had nothing or if they had no way to get it to Paul, but whatever the case, um, there will be seasons when you don't have opportunity. There will be seasons when you're not able to give, and in fact, maybe the church needs to come alongside you and help you. That's okay. Uh, when I was leading the college and career back in Calgary, there was a young guy came to me and, and uh, pulled me aside and said, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm in turmoil. I have no income. I have huge student loans. Um, should I be giving out of my student loan money? <laughs> I love his heart. What a, what a wonderful heart, but no, this is not your opportunity. Um, that's, not, that's not wise. God, just, just wait on that. Let us bring you some meals here as you get this sorted out. But on the other hand, don't miss the opportunities that God gives. Seek to be wise with your money, to, to live in a frugal way and, and work hard so that as the Lord blesses you, you can give. And, and as, as blessings come your way, as, as you get a, a, a bonus or, or, or a raise or whatever, we should be looking, is this an opportunity for me to give, to be generous? Thirdly, give with gospel purpose. Give with gospel purpose. That's the focus of this passage that we've looked at, 14 to 19. Um, there are times when maybe you're going to give to uh, an unbelieving friend or unbelieving neighbor or, or the random homeless man to help them out as a, as a hope of, of sharing the gospel with them or, or building a ground from which to do that. But, but our primary responsibility uh, is one another. It's bear one another's burdens in the church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith. That's our focus. And these verses here in Philippians are even more specific. It was about gospel ministry. Paul was going to preach the gospel. That's what brought on the trouble that he had, um, was preaching the gospel. And so they said, we will continue to support you as you preach the gospel. As you grow the church, don't, don't just give anywhere. You're going to have all kinds of telemarketers and all kinds of, of good things going on that you could give to. Give with gospel purpose. Give to the local church. And, and if you're streaming in from somewhere distant, don't, don't send it here. Give to your church. Give to your local church. The vast majority of, I can't speak for your local church, but for us here, um, the vast majority of our budget goes to, to, to feeding my family so that I don't have to go out and get another job. I can spend time studying God's word so that I can proclaim it here, so that I can be meeting with believers who need counsel and help and, and spreading the gospel that way. It goes to paying Josh's salary, um, which is really very small, and he donates a massive amount of time to do this, and we want to increase that. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, because we want to see him have time to build a team and to work, uh, to, to provide, uh, to, to lead us in worship. It goes to church planting. As we partner together um, with the GCC, and, and as we um, are working specifically with the, the, the church plan in Red Deer. We want to see another conduit of, of gospel grace and the preaching of the word in Red Deer. And so um, we want to help out Chris Gervin as he's doing that and provide for them. And then that takes money and, and resources as the gospel continues to spread and the church grows to the glory of God. So be intentional where you give. Give with gospel purpose. So give from the heart, give as you have opportunity, give with gospel purpose. Fourthly, give consistently. Uh, remember verse 16? Even when Paul was in Thessalonica, it says twice they provided for him. Twice they came with gifts. They were consistent. That's what Paul uh, commanded the church in Corinth to do. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also were to do. So it's not just Corinth, it's the churches in Galatia too. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. So at this point, um, Jerusalem was under a famine. Paul was collecting money from the outlying churches to come back and provide for the church in Jerusalem. And he says, every week, put a little bit aside. 
put a, give consistently week after week on the first day of the week so that when something happens, there's money there. There's, there's opportunity to give. There's, there's, there's a, uh, uh, the church is able to help. And so every Sunday, lay it aside. Now, chances are you get paid on a regular schedule, a consistent schedule of some kind, and, and so you have this opportunity to give that comes along on a regular schedule. Maybe it's not every week. Um, maybe it's every other week, every month, whatever it is, however it works for you. But budget for that. Plan for that. And don't be giving, um, you know, once here and once there, and oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't done that for a while, I need to do that again. No, no, we, we ought to be giving consistently, regularly. That's part of our, our practice, and, and, and I think it's the, the first fruits of what we have goes to the Lord. It's not the leftovers at the end of the month. Oh, hey, wow, look, this month I have some extra that I didn't spend on pop and chips. No, no, the beginning I say, I'm going to give to the Lord. And, and what's left over, I'll live off of. So we give consistently and then give generously, number five. Looking at verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received your gift. We don't know what they gave, but it was enough. It was plenty, it was generous. Paul says, I have enough and more. Often Christians talk about tithing. I'm giving a 10% of your income. Let me just say two things about that briefly. Um, first, if we're talking about the Old Testament practice of tithing, um, we just need to see it for what it is. Um, if you were to tally up what they were to give regularly, it's more like 25%. Uh, and then they were to leave the corners of their fields for their poor neighbors. And then they were to bring the first fruits offering from their uh, harvest. And then they were to uh, offer peace offerings and thank offerings to the Lord. And, and so tithe was just that, that 10% piece was such a small piece of a bigger system. Um, but the bigger issue here is that's kind of irrelevant. We're not under Old Testament law. That's not where we live. That doesn't apply to us uh, any more than not wearing mixed fabrics or planting different crops in your field. Um, We're not under Old Testament law. We're under the New Covenant. And so we're not required to tithe. And and so we try not to use that language here too much and and be confusing for you. Um, Rather, what we're told, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you must give as he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. We're commanded to give not 10%, but generously from the heart as the Lord would lead you. Now, all of that said, apart from any law or command, many believers fall into that category and have just said, you know what, 10% and not less. That's what I'm going to give. That's our, that's our commitment to the Lord. Uh, and that's fine. Um, I think, mostly, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the danger is if ever we set a level and say, I give this and that's my duty and when I've done that, I'm done. No, the Lord says that we ought to be generous. We ought to be giving as we decide in our heart to give. And so we never, as new covenant believers, get to the point of saying, check, I've done my duty, but rather all that I have is the Lord's. And I want to use it for him and be generous as he would call me to. And that's going to be different this month from next month or whatever that may look like. But if you're not a regular giver, and, and you're feeling convicted and wondering, how do I go forward from here? I don't even know where to start. Do I give, you know, what, what's appropriate? Sure, 10, 10%. That's a, that's a great place to start. That's a, a, a great way to honor the Lord and say, that's my commitment. I'm going to give 10% off the top to the Lord. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And so, on the other hand, just as food for thought, again, I, I don't want this to be a law or a burden, but but I would say if, if I'm giving less than 10% regularly, maybe that's just an indicator. There's a little check engine light there that comes on. I just need to maybe sit down with the Lord and, 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 and think about that. Maybe I should be giving more. I'm not saying you're necessarily sinning. You're not breaking any command. Maybe it's a, a, a particularly difficult season or, or something's going on. 
but I would check myself. I would just ask you to sit down with the Lord and ask, am I honestly being generous with what he's given me? And, and can, I, can I stand before him and, and say, this is what you've called me to do? Or am I actually sinning and in, in withholding and spending on myself what I ought to be giving generously to the Lord? So give generously. Number six, then finally, give expectantly. We're to expect heavenly reward. We're to look for the Lord's generous provision to us as we give. And we should be excited as we give um, to watch what the Lord does for the work of his gospel and where we give. We ought to give expecting great things from the Lord. Your giving to the Lord um, does not deplete your resources. It's not ultimately a sacrifice. You're investing in the kingdom of God. You're investing in eternal reward. And the question should never be, how much must I give? But rather, how much can I give? Because we give expecting great reward and return and the glory of God in it. And so we ought to be eagerly, joyfully expecting the faithfulness of God uh, to return in blessing. So give from the heart, give as you have opportunity, give with gospel purpose consistently, generously, and expectantly. Do you live that way? Does that define you, sharing in the troubles of others, generously worshiping God in that way? And and if not, why not? And, And you'll just have to take me at my word when I say, I don't care about your gift. We don't need your money. We rely on the Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and, uh, and, and this church will, 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 will do just fine as the Lord provides, as he sees fit. What I care about is the fruit that increases to your credit. To, to see a church that is, that is radiant with the joy of obedience as we walk in generosity together that displays the wonder of the gospel as we together say, money is not my God. Christ is more. I trust the goodness and the faithfulness of God more than I trust what this money can buy. That we live in such a way that it can be said of us apart from faith in Christ. There is no explanation for such a life. That you will not enter into heaven at the end of your life and wonder why you wasted so much time and effort and focus and money on things that moth and rust destroy and invested so little in eternity. Because in Christ, if we truly know him, if we truly trust him, that he's the only thing that matters, this is the only thing that makes sense. Investing today for the, for the joy of eternity, sharing together in meaningful fellowship and the troubles of others for the spread of the gospel and the glory of God. Looking to Christ. Our, our generosity ought always to flow out of that fountain of gospel joy, knowing that, that we have been given infinitely more. So we're going to turn our eyes again to that great gift. I'm going to invite Josh and the team to join me again um, because that's our foundation. That's our root. That's the base of our, our generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's the gospel. That Jesus took our suffering on himself to the cross. He became poor that we might become rich. And remembering his sacrifice as a, as a motivation, as a, as a driver, as our, our hope and our confidence of eternity. So um, would you pray with me if you don't have your communion elements? Maybe go grab those. Um, we're going to sing together and then we'll partake together after this song. But let's pray. Father.